This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Unscrewed. The show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and we are going to talk about your bodies this week. You know, when I was first thinking about coming back for the new season, I was picturing it being more January, which didn't happen. Uh, And so I was thinking, actually, about having our guest this week on for that first episode when all of the sort of diet, change your body, make resolutions, you know, to like be a different you shit is coming at us. And I missed that window and I hope you all got through it okay. But as it turns out, this topic is just sort of always appropriate because I feel like literally any second now, possibly I've already started to see the like get ready for bathing suit season ads, even though it's February when we're recording this. (laughs) So we're going to get into it. The connection between how you feel about your body and all the messages about what you're supposed to be doing to have a healthy body and what even that, that idea of healthy body means and how that all impacts the culture we're fucking in, man. Uh, and to do it all, I've called up my pal, Re- Rebecca Scritchfield, who I was delighted to meet because we share a wonderful literary agent, Anna Sprawl Latimer. I'm going to give her a little shout out on the show. Yes, we love her. So, Rebecca, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm ready to unscrew the culture Let's unscrew- when it comes to health and wellness. <laughs> yeah. So you're like a health and wellness expert and your book is amazing. It's called Body Kindness, which I was just saying to you, like, makes me feel calm and happy just saying the title. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And and really, I was envisioning like the chronic dieter. Usually people, oh, it wasn't the diet. It was me. I screwed it up. And so they tried two or three or more. And so I was really thinking of that person who actually was me um, and writing to a, a younger version of myself with some compassion and wisdom, like this isn't right. Um, and it's not you. This idea of what would you do if you treated your body with kindness. With and kindness. If- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> With like, but it's such a radical idea because like we, we get that message nowhere. All right, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We have to do the lightning round first. Okay. So, right. what has been making you the happiest this week? Well, um, I am excited to get some girl time with my childhood bestie, and oh. we're going to take a girls' weekend soon. And I'm bringing many, many books, which I will not complete. Uh, but we are looking forward to having some good girl downtime. Yes. Where are you going? Can you tell us? Playa del Carmen. Oh, you're not <laughs> playing around. Margaritas. 
Yes. <laughs> that sounds so good. Ah, mm. uh, yes. All right. What's the best sex advice you ever received? I think it was to just go and get a vibrator already. <laughs> yes. Who told you that? Actually, I might credit Anna for the vibratorship and many, many happy orgasms since then. Yes, Anna, <laughs> we love you. Yes. That's In fact, amazing. I had a moment before we recorded because I figured that if I was going to put my best foot forward and getting unscrewed, that I'd have to kind of be a, a little elated. So you did. That's, it's, that is very exciting. I hope that starts a trend. Okay, future unscrewed guests. <laughs> Put that in your requirements. Uh, make sure you turn scene. off. Yes. yes. Turn off distractions and come after yes. orgasmic status. Yes. If, it, if you want to, I invite you to have just jilled off. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. So <laughs> excellent. I feel so bad because I have to ask this next question, which is tonally okay. very different. So that's why I'm stalling. What has been making you the maddest and saddest lately when it comes to the sexual culture? Mm. The first thing that's coming to my mind that I just feel like I have to say that it has to do with the fact, if you haven't heard, that Weight Watchers is going to be offering a free dieting program for oh teens. Oh, my God. I have to talk to you about this so bad because I was on Weight Watchers as a teenager. I saw this go by, but I've had all this shit going on in my life and I haven't like had time to process it. But I have so many feelings about this. Yeah. Let's, so we could, we could chat details more about it later. Let's but table that, that for the actual yeah. conversation. Yes. But I think the connection is – that the message is your body is a problem. And absolutely, we, we don't want to give pleasure or take care of things that we hate or d don't even like. Yep. Um, so the idea that this is couched as health and well-being, um, which is all a lie, is just infuriating beyond belief because I care deeply about sexual liberation. It is absolutely tied to our physical and mental health. Oh, it just makes you want to punch every <laughs> exactly. damn thing. So, uh, <laughs> What was the biggest myth about sex that you once believed but don't believe anymore? I would say that my body is broken. I, I am lacking the skill to have an orgasm, you know, and I guess related to that is it's good enough as long as your partner is getting satisfied. Mm. Fuck that noise. Fuck that shit. <laughs> I mean, and I hope that you and everyone, we don't, like, also have partners who believe that, too, yeah. right? Like, that uh, that our partners also should be like, fuck that. Your your pleasure is also important to me. Yeah. Right. Who is somebody who you think is doing really brave work uh, unscrewing the sexual culture right now? Okay. Well, I would say, in addition to you, I would give some credit to Peggy Orenstein. So she has written several bestsellers, uh, but I really benefited from reading Girls and Sex. It really helped me see the cultural oppressions in a different way. And very much like in my dieting days, it was like I was the problem, my body's the problem here. And then I learned more about culture and society. I was like, oh my gosh, what a relief. I'm not to blame. And that really led to a lot of liberation as far as body image goes. And I feel like reading her work has been helpful to me. And with those parallels, I'm working on reducing the shame and going to folks who know more than me and who I trust, um, which has been a lot of the authors like you, like Peggy Orenstein. 
um, L L Chase um, wrote a very I good book. I love her. <laughs> yes, with all the you know uh, to bring sexual liberation for people of size, which I think is really important. We had her on for Curvy Girl Sex like about a year oh. ago when it came out. So yeah, I love her. Yeah, she's great too. Yeah, awesome. Mm. Hurrah! So let's get into it. Do you want to start by talking about Weight Watchers since we already kind of started? Sure. Yeah. I so- I feel so intense about this because I was on Weight Watchers as a teenager. Mm-hmm. How'd it go? Not good. I found a diary once, and I think I said this on your show, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> that showed that I was on a diet when I was nine years old. So, like, mm-hmm. I absolutely was raised that my body was a problem. Mm-hmm. And so whatever diet my mom was on, you know, I was sort of on, unless it, there was a time when she went on a liquid diet, which she had the good sense not to put my teenage body on. But so she was doing Weight Watchers for a long while and I was like coming along. And what would happen would be like it was it just felt so oppressive and restrictive and made me crazy. And mm-hmm. uh, she would go out like my parents would go out. And what I would do would be I would eat a little of everything in the house that was forbidden so that mm. none of it would look like I had eaten a lot of it mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't know. Right. Mm-hmm. But I was mm-hmm. basically binge eating and mm-hmm. then I, we would go to weigh in weekly and I wouldn't have lost anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mother would be like, I don't understand what's going on. Like I see what you eat. And, and I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> who can say what's going on? I'm just like, as soon as you leave the house, just eating nonstop because that's how, the only way I can do it. Yeah. That's about yeah. how it went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, the truth is, thankfully you had a healthy brain that wouldn't let you starve because all diets are a way of restricting the body and that what we know now uh through research is that our our brains fight back and it's literally outside of human control and so when we cut calories we will drop weight for the short term, right? That's not a big surprise. So anytime you see a testimonial or whatever, this worked for me, for the vast majority of people, in order to get a real picture of what happens with body weight, even up through the first year, you could see a weight loss trend with restriction. And then what happens in the brain, it is trying to defend a weight range that it can maintain more easily. And so it sends these signals for, and it's called a homeostatic drive to eat. Basically means it wants you to get back to the weight you were before. So it's going to push you to think about food, to crave food. It's going to send the hormones that kind of keep you hypervigilant about food. And it will do what it can, even if you fight it. Um, So when people say, oh, I lost control or it was me, it's not that. It's actually your brain is a healthy enough brain to avoid anorexia, we can say, because it's still binge eating is is there's a binge eating disorder. There's an unspecified eating disorders. There's lots of ways we can have disordered behaviors and eating disorders. Yeah, and I don't think my way was particularly healthy, right? Like it was definitely felt like it was much more about compulsion than about pleasure or nourishment. Right. I think that your brain was trying to say, look, this is, this girl's not getting enough energy. She needs energy. So we, you know, it's, it's sending these signals that you could not turn on or off. 
getting you to go to the scoop here, the, um, the shaving here, the bite there. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. there was nothing wrong with you. We are supposed to get pleasure from food, but also growing kids are really, I mean, nobody should be weight suppressed, but really the last people who should be weight suppressed are growing kids, you know, and especially during puberty ages, we, we could be gaining 40 even plus pounds in a year's time. And sometimes you gain weight before height. And, and, you know, even beyond that genetics is a major factor. The reality of it is some kids start higher on what the pediatrician checks as your growth curve. And that thing starts from two years old. Yeah. I was always a chunky kid, right? Like mm-hmm. I just was, that's who right. I, that's how I got born. Right. And exactly. I was always wearing the sort of 6X or like some size that I was, even as a child that was aware I wasn't really supposed to be wearing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you want to talk like how that affected me. It re- what it made in terms of sex, like it meant that when a boy liked me, I felt grateful. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. When a boy liked me, I was like, oh, my God, a boy likes me. And I didn't do I lucked out like I didn't have any super shitty boyfriends in growing Mm -hmm. up but like that really is just luck it really Mm -hmm. is because I was so grateful for that attention for like a boy finding me desirable in any Mm -hmm. way that Mm -hmm. I was like I confused being liked with like my own desires like I can Mm -hmm. I confused for a long time until sometime in adulthood I confused being desired with desiring and they're not the same thing and I think a big Mm -hmm. part of why I had that confusion was I had internalized the idea that I was not desirable because my there was my body was the wrong Mm -hmm. size I couldn't Mm -hmm. control it I was supposed to control it so it was my Mm -hmm. fault and Mm -hmm. so like if a boy still liked me after all that like I felt I was so vulnerable it made me Mm -hmm. vulnerable in a way that I did not need to be Yeah. I mean, I, that's how I lost my virginity. It was that exact thing. Like you, you should be lucky. Anyone wants to have sex with you. So just shut up and spread your legs. Like it was awful. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, it was there. I consented, but I consented with a very broken brain with low, low sense of self-worth. Um, because, I also started dieting at nine and I freaking hated my body no matter. In fact, and I started exercising too and and I was restricting food. What was interesting on how my body responded was I never got smaller. I actually built muscle. So people would congratulate me on like my good effort and my commitment to exercise and all that made me do is like, oh, I got to keep this going now because I'm getting some sort of acknowledgement from adults or peers or whatever. Um, but I was so sick in my head and, and that it absolutely, um, first of all, I, I, I lost my sexual drive, which is common when you're restricting, um, or even other, you know, hyper focus on food and body. It will take your attention or mental energy away, you know, from thinking about deserving connection and worthiness and the mind and body is connected. So if you're, you know, not give, whether it's enough physical energy or you don't have that emotional connection, you'll just shut that right off. 
so I had that happen. And then, you know, eventually it was, it was kind of like, oh, wow, all your friends are having sex and you're still a virgin. See another way you suck, you know, Mm -hmm. not like, Hey, you know, it'll come around girl. You know, it was just another way to judge myself. And then it was just a stupid decision, um, based on a lot of self-loathing. And so, you know, I, I don't, I've never, I don't really think I told, I said that publicly before. So there we go with that. And um, how you doing? I know I'm shaky a little bit, but, um, but yeah, you know, I think when it comes down to it, I have some time, but I think I need to tell my girls that story in a way, because I think there's a lot of lessons in there. Like, yeah, absolutely. What are you teaching your girls about food and what health means? Mm, good question. Cause I still struggle with it. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I've had a whole journey with my body and most days I'm pretty at peace with it. I would say like we have like a truce. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm like, I have friends who are like, I love exactly my fat body. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mm-hmm. wish that I felt that way. Mm-hmm. I like how I look some of the time, but if mm-hmm. you could give me a pill mm-hmm. that would have no side effects that would make me skinny, I would take it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and that that doesn't surprise me because our culture, I think that if our culture was more accepting and loving of all size bodies, I think that you might you might think a little differently. But I certainly don't blame people who want to conform to culture. It, it gives you more social power. Yeah. So I've I've had this whole struggle and I've I've basically mm-hmm. come to this place where I try and I, you know, I do this differentially well depending on my stress level and other things that are going on. But I try mostly to like listen to my body about what it wants and what it's mm-hmm. craving, what it's hungry for. And I try mm-hmm. to just sort of not my police, my eating too much, but also make sure I'm eating enough vegetables. And, you know, I just, I muddle through it, right? Like mm-hmm. the balance between <laughs> like, don't be too hung up on like making sure everything you eat is healthful or like calories mm-hmm. or all of that stuff. Like it's okay mm-hmm. to have treats and sweets and, and the carbs and all that yummy stuff that I crave. Um, mm-hmm. And then also like, I don't want to get diabetes and like, mm-hmm. you know, like sure. I don't yeah. want to have high cholesterol. Like I, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm taking care of my health. And mm-hmm. I, I, I find it, I think because the culture is so fucked up and because I was raised the way I was, mm-hmm. I find it hard to tease those two ideas apart sometimes. Like mm-hmm. what is actually important to focus on for my health versus what mm-hmm. feels like it is about health, but actually mm-hmm. is about shame. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start at a 30,000 foot view and then I'm going to dive into health and then food. Okay. So one of the things that I find really fascinating is associations that I've read a couple articles. Um, one was, um, in the Atlantic by Michelle Allison, and it was actually, um, in February of 2017. And it was about how diet culture is really a ruse to deal with our fear of death. Um, and oh, then interesting, I know Ooh, this is getting just, deep. It's getting deep over here. <laughs> if you think about it, our messages that we're getting now is like everything you eat or drink could add to your life or take away from it. And I do kind of feel like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what, you know, those like green <laughs> juices, right? So it's like the green juice is being presented, right? You, the thin, able-bodied white woman in her yoga pants, probably blonde, straight hair too, right? Drinking this green juice. And that's what's presented as this is the ideal of wellness and power. So, you know, you have this need for diet culture because we want to live forever. 
And then the other need we have for diet culture is because we have a really strong fat phobic culture, but I'm going to put a pin in fat phobia for now. And so I think if you look at it from that standpoint, right, where you talk about like, like, of course, it's good to want to maintain your health. It's good to want to be on this planet and enjoy it in all the wonderful ways. It's absolutely. But it is taken to an extreme. And of course, we have Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop and all those examples. Mm. But it's it's not even that because, it you know, anyone can go to their doctor and if they said, you know, oh, I'm thinking of doing some sort of cleanse. A doctor would probably say, oh, if it's got vegetables, it's great. You know, it's just like it's there's there's this idea that individual foods are healthy or not. The idea that we judge like healthy with individual foods, I have a problem with because scientifically it's more about our behavioral patterns as opposed to what one individual food is doing. And they all provide nourishment in some way. There's a difference between patterns where maybe you don't think or plan a lot of food and you eat behind the wheel of a car and it's very distracted and mindless. And then you decide to make changes and you are cooking more at home and buying more vegetables and fruits and there will be benefits to those patterns of changes, whether it's, hey, I'm actually saving more money or I have better digestion and I feel better. You know, there can, there may be improvements to your um, physical health with labs and everything too, but it doesn't mean sugar is toxic and, you know, we have a sugar epidemic and it's like cocaine and all these weird things that we hear about it. 
it's what they like. And when lunch comes around, they will go for tuna, fish, and chickpeas. So even this idea of a balanced plate or veggies all the time, it's it's unsustainable. It is too restrictive to do what's in the rule books we should be doing. And it's more about the overall patterns that we deliver. Um, so for, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to from an adult standpoint because it's very similar to what you would do for kids anyway, but you, you provide a structure for yourself. So it's things like when you can prepare your own food, you don't have to follow crazy hard recipes, but when you prepare your own food, you have control over the ingredients and what you like and don't like. And you can do stuff that's quick with help from the grocery store because you don't have to like to cook in order to eat better at home. But you don't have to avoid eating out at all costs. I mean, not every meal has to be a health meal. And you can make simple choices when you're eating out. But wait, what's a health meal? Let me just say, I think that we're, that how we define health needs to be completely redone. Yeah, yeah, I want to get down to that. Yeah. But what I would say for um, what I would say a person is thinking of a healthy meal is that there's vegetables, there's lean proteins, there's whole grains. Like what a dietitian would say, oh, this is A plus nutrition, you know, that not every meal has to be like that. Like when we, when we order pizza, you know, I want to get the toppings I want that I will enjoy the most. And I might look in the fridge and say, you know what? We have some carrot sticks and ranch. So if I add that to the plate, maybe instead of eating four pieces of pizza, I'll eat one or two, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an effort to be more balanced, but it's not a rule. Like if you get pizza, you must eat a salad and you right. must only eat one slice. Like I'm going to be open to listening to my body. But not everyone eats like that. I can't eat pizza. I can't have gluten or dairies. I can make pizza at home, but that's like a whole magilla. I do it once in a while. Um, but if, if I were to take that pizza example, mm-hmm. I think because of my history of dieting and binging and, you know, I don't I don't stop when I feel full necessarily. I feel like, oh, there's more pizza and it's delicious and I can't stop eating it. And then I feel gross afterwards. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it happened with me with Skittles the other day, by the way. So I'll so, that story. Like, I get what you're saying, and it feels it sounds nice and very reasonable. Although I also want to ask you if like all the other nutritionists shun you. But um... <laughs> I have no friends. I have no nutrition friends. I have a few. <laughs> but like, I for me, like I I do sometimes have to think like I shouldn't eat more of that. Which mm-hmm. I I get you're saying like in an ideal world that's not how we construct it, but like yeah. So here's what I would say to that: a couple of things. First of all, your brain is actually working because food is rewarding. It does hit dopamine receptors, and it is normal to want to feel good. As the day goes on later, even when the day is good, you make so many decisions, you actually run low on thinking energy. On willpower, I've heard this that like yes. willpower is actually a finite resource or like a muscle you can wear out. Right, exactly. And actually, the more you overthink food, the more you're hypervigilant, you know, but even just regular decisions that you have to make and being a productive person and working in America, you know, we work longer hours and odd hours. So we're basically running low on this energy. And then also if, you know, look, we don't take lunch breaks typically in America to enjoy our meal. Like over in Europe, they have two hour breaks with beers and stuff like they don't, we don't chill out, you know? And so we're go, 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 go. And we finally get to this moment. We get this, it's a neurotransmitter called neuropeptide Y that increases later on in the day, gets us focusing on food again. And we haven't experienced much rewards or pleasure, or maybe something was tough and food 
does work as a reward and it is rewarding. And then the more you engage in that behavior, like when this happens and I eat, your brain learns it and it, it, it builds a pathway um, for the neurons that you basically taught yourself something. Like I learned Spanish and I learned how to soothe my emotions with food. So um, it's interesting <laughs> to me that like, does it then follow that if you have more other pleasures in your life, you're going to be less fixated on seeking pleasure from food. Yes. Which is why I, one of my spiral ups in the book was seven days of self-love. Yes. And it was to just go in a room and touch your naked body, pull out your vibrator if you want. Like it's great if you have an orgasm, but don't have to, but just give yourself some moments of connection to yourself and absolutely sex, pleasure, all that stuff it's actually more of a strong reward and the oxytocin release with orgasm, much, much stronger satisfaction. Than that Oreo I had for breakfast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you should have had sex or masturbated. So that's so interesting to me, like, because I, when I did my second book, What You Really, Really Want, which is a workbook, mostly for women, although people of all genders have found it really useful to figure out what we authentically want from sex in a world that doesn't want us to have our own agenda about sex and so i started the book by setting up this exercise that i ask folks to do literally every week that they're working through the book along the other all the other stuff that they work through which mm -hmm. is like make a list of things that feel pleasurable in an uncomplicated way right like mm -hmm. not this feels mm -hmm. nice and i feel guilty or shame mm -hmm. or but this just feels like physically pleasurable mm -hmm. and I worked through all those exercises. I, I developed the book in collaboration with this amazing group of about a dozen volunteers who would like work through everything with me. And they had so such a difficult time just making a list of five or 10 things that yeah. felt pleasurable and not complicated physically. Yeah. Like, and, and this wasn't even just a, like about sex. It was like brushing your hair or like walking through grass barefoot or taking a bath or you know mm -hmm. literally just any kind of physical sensation that mm -hmm. you can give yourself that doesn't require another person in body kindness i call it fun famine like we literally don't know how to prioritize those moments we think they're wasted empty spaces that should be filled with more productivity and yet it actually makes us less creative less productive less happy and more seeking happiness through maladaptive ways I am having a total revelation about mm -hmm. this. Like I like if I'm feeling compulsive or out of control about food, like that I need to check in with myself about where I am with pleasure in my life mm -hmm. in, a, in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and reminding yourself, you know, like I'm I'm not the kind of person that tells herself that she's never allowed to have Oreos. Let's remember how much we enjoyed them yesterday. And this caregiver voice might say, you know, think about maybe having these like after breakfast, like maybe lunch or later. So it's, so it's not <laughs> no, it's like, although add some milk. You're you know, such a you good go. mom. <laughs> well, but that is body kindness. It's building this non-judgmental, compassionate caregiver that is reminding you that you recently enjoyed this moment with that food. And that, but think of all I mean, literally dieting is a trauma. It's a nutritional trauma and it's a traumatic experience. And our culture is a diet culture. So our whole culture is disordered. We don't have a good view of health. And we don't have a good view of women 
and pleasure, right? Like, right. We, we don't get raised to believe that we should feel good in our bodies, right? right? Like that on that deeply profound level. Right. And I mean, even even going on a diet or trying to change your body, trying to control your body, it's it's the language of saying, I have no needs. Right. You know, like I don't need food. I don't need to orgasms. Secure, I like need... I just need somebody to desire me and consume mm-hmm. me and make me valid. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take up any space. Exactly. Because take. I mean, and and ultimately, that's the thing that makes me livid about diet culture and the sort of body shaming culture we live in, which is like, if you're a woman and you make your body smaller, if you mm-hmm. you are praised for it. Right. That mm-hmm. what you're what you're absolutely being shamed for if you are fat, is taking up too much physical space in the world. Um, And it makes me very angry. And I see it all the time. Like, I sent out a tweet a few weeks ago, right after the terrible shooting in Florida, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when it came out later that night that the shooter had been stalking someone and had been abusive to an ex-girlfriend. And I basically was like this connection between men who feel entitled to women's bodies and mass shooters like comes up Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. All the time. We have to, we can't deal with one without dealing with the other. Mm -hmm. And the the corner of the internet that I like to call the shitter net um, (laughs) really was not into that idea. And I, that tweet went fairly viral. And so I heard from a lot of assholes about it. And like one of the sub themes was like, Literally men just being like, I don't need to worry about it because I'm too fat to be abused or or stalked or raped or basically like they confuse that with men desiring me, <laughs> like which is also like it's like so many layers of fucked up. Yeah. But like, well, it's 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 dehumanizing. I mean, yeah. it's anything from, you know, 67 percent of American women are a size 14 or higher. But when you look at what we see, whether it's our newscasters or who gets to act or in our magazines or anywhere we we might absorb images, we don't see ourselves represented in size, ability, race, sexual orientation, any of that. And representation matters. So there's erasure happening. If we show a picture of someone at a higher weight, we're showing them in a negative light uh, usually we show their backs and their head is cut off. So mm-hmm. it's called like a headless fatty. And it's, 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 and it's literally dehumanizing. And all people want, like I'm an ally to people at higher weights and I consider myself a fat activist. And all we're asking for is the same rights and respect as anyone else. And, you know, you cannot tell a person's health by looking at them at all. In fact, there are a lot of people at higher weights who are a lot healthier than people at lower weights. And even if you're not healthy, that's not a moral obligation either. So Right. I I have kind of a weird, awkward personal question to ask you. Sure. Relevant okay. to this conversation. Okay. Do you think because you are a white, blonde, mm-hmm. Traditionally attractive, mm-hmm. what they call straight-sized woman, mm-hmm. right? I don't know yep. your size, yep. but do you think that your message succeeds more because you present how you do? Well, absolutely. I mean, without question, I have a privilege over, um, you know, my. I think my biggest um, oppressions 
I are invisible and I can hide them. So I grew up low socioeconomic status. I didn't have health care until I was had my first professional job. So I never saw a pediatrician as a kid. Mm. Um, I went to the emergency room once. So so and, and so interestingly, the socioeconomic status was way worse for my health. Yeah. Um, and it didn't save me from diet culture. Very interesting. Remember dieting at nine and um, and right. my you mom think had, that if you're fucking yeah. food insecure, that like, <laughs> nope, no. Nope. It's, it's, it's when you, you know, my dad would to stretch out budget, he would be, we had a day old hostess bakery. So he, we had (sighs) in our freezer, it was amazing. It was really amazing. It was also easy to like restrict and binge eat. Now some, some of our restriction was out of need. And then some of it was out of, um, it was like, like I, I knew that we lacked an income. And so I think that hyper focus on my body became one of the ways for me to try to attain higher social power. But I wasn't thinking that way. I just think that that's reflecting now. I think that's what was going on. But the point of it is, is that I can hide that, right? I've got several college degrees and by all means, everything you identified about me is absolutely true. So I think that I get more opportunities to use my voice and I have also been educated about the need to do what I can to use my power to liberate others, including ways where I could center the voices of someone who is more oppressed than me. Which is a thing you do on your show also. Yeah. And we, I, I don't know if I've said, like, you have a podcast called also called Body Kindness that people should... Yes. 100% be listening to. 100% listen. So that's how I see things. I think that culture finds me more acceptable and therefore I must be more trustworthy. And so I'm taking advantage of that power and trying to shift conversations wherever I can. Although I, I will admit that like for me, and <laughs> you don't take the fence to this because like, I really don't mean it uh, as offensive, but like when I hear you talk about like, don't worry so much about it. Like there's this part of me that's like, exactly that sort of like, fuck you. What do you know about it? Uh (laughs) And and you should. (laughs) Absolutely. You absolutely should. Somebody wrote an article. I'll have to share it with you in case you want to include in the show notes, but it was about the fragility of body positivity. I want to say that was an everyday feminism. And Fat activism has been going on for decades, and it was um, Marilyn Wan. Yes. Love her. She was on my show, and she's author of Fat So. And on my show, she talks about the people who actually really started fat activism was a lot of black and brown and queer women. And so her being, you know, her having the privilege to be on my show and educating me in that way and, and giving credit where credit is due helps the cause, right? And as somebody who has power, I need to do more to acknowledge my privileges, especially when I'm around oppressed people. Um, and so that is something that's not happening that needs to happen in body positivity spaces. Being able to say, I have thin privilege. I can walk in a store and I might not like the clothes, but there's going to be something in my size. And it's absolute crap that some people don't right, and have. And no one tells you you're not, you're too fat to have an opinion about sexual exactly. violence. Wow. Yeah. Ow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's way beyond shopping. I mean, I'm sure I, yeah. I actually know that you know that, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it goes back to subhuman. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, and it's about white supremacy too. Yeah. And, you know, there's money behind it the, that's fueling the diet industry. And I mean, they don't want to give away that. And so as long as our bodies are problems, you know, and we're not the right color and the, or the not right shade, right? Like lighter shades are supposedly better than darker shades, you know? So it's like you, you, it's, it's a historical trauma that, you know, people of color have dealt with and they're still dealing with it today. I've come to accept that things may not change as much as I want them to, even in my own lifetime, that doesn't mean that I'm gonna just say, well, fine, because it's it's not gonna be one powerful phrase or one powerful speech. It's gonna be a lot of people saying this shouldn't write in, in various levels and it's size, sexuality, health and well-being yeah. to, to remember our common humanity. Well, that is a perfect place to leave it. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you for having me. So where can people find you and follow you online? They definitely should buy Body Kindness, the book, and also subscribe to Body Kindness, the podcast. Yeah. Yes. But what else? So just go to my website. Uh, it's bodykindnessbook.com. And there's all the social links. And, you know, I've got a free mini e-course if you want to do that and blogs and all the good things there. So check that out. Sweet. Are you on the social medias where people can follow you also? Yes. Instagram and Twitter. Twitter, Scritchfield RD. But, the, you know, the rest is Rebecca Scritchfield. I'm on Facebook and all those things. I'll take friends. I have fan pages. I have groups. Probably too much social media, to be honest. But um, if you go to my website, the links are right there on the top. So you can just click, 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 click. And the absolute best way is to get on my email list, which is basically from the homepage. If you click get started and you get my free mini course, because those are always the people that get the best deals and the first information on anything that I have going on. Get in, get on the inside track. Excellent. And you can follow me as always on Twitter at Jacqueline F, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. And on Instagram, I'm Jacqueline Fable. <laughs> Uh, you're so effable it's thank you and you can subscribe to my podcast unscrewed which you are listening to right now as well as body kindness wherever fine podcasts are available and if you you know you like the show go into itunes and give us five stars give us that review it really helps people find the show unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly jacqueline friedman our in and out music is by the pink tiles and our cover art is by nicole dadana and was developed in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues until next week i am wishing you safe and happy sex lives Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.